Welcome to episode three of season two of the OrthoPlug podcast, the show where we speak with some of the most inspiring orthopedic surgeons in the country who either come from underrepresented backgrounds or are actively supporting those that do. This is a fantastic episode where we speak with Dr. Gabby Joseph, who at the time of recording had just graduated from medical school, but is now an intern at the Hospital for Special Surgery. In this episode, he describes where his ability to balance so many things comes from. So I'd be doing homework late into the night, wake up in the morning, load up the car, drive my siblings to school, drop them off, keep going myself. Same thing. Cross country practice, drive out, soccer practice, come on. How he utilizes the growth mindset. Where I found myself in that mindset, I was like, I feel like I'm doing better and better because I'm more excited to show up every day. The importance of self-talk. You do come up against those trials or those very difficult moments. What you say to yourself can be one of the most important things that you then go forward with. And finally, the impact of mentorship. So I went in, spent a couple of days with him, got to meet him, got to know him. And he said, great, we'd love to have you back this summer. And that was it. And he just said, all right, you're under my wing. Like, here's the proverbial wing. He's like, you're under my wing for three months. I'm going to teach as much as I can. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do some research, write a review, spend some time in the lab. And then you're going to see patients in clinic and in the operating room. Again, this thread of somebody just being willing to open their arms and teach and mentor. And I was grateful to be there and really thankful. Before we dive into the episode, I have one favor to ask. The best thing that you can do to support the podcast is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. By doing so, you'll be helping the podcast grow and directly contributing to my ability to bring more guests on, continue to improve production value, and just ultimately make the show better for you. All right, let's hop in. Gabby, man, thank you so much for joining the show. I'm super, super excited for this conversation. Um, I do my research on the people that I'm interviewing, and as I was going through looking at you, I was like, this, this man... This man is something special. So <laughs> I'm like, you know, super just thankful for your time. I know everybody listening is going to be like blown, blown away, but I just appreciate you joining the show, man. I'm excited to be here. Excited to be here. And love, love that you did a little bit of your research. I should have done more of mine, but knowing your audience <laughs> and knowing your people, it's definitely a, it's definitely a good thing to do. Yep. And it, you, you get to come in not having to worry about nothing. It's my responsibility. I got, I got to, <laughs> I got to do the work. Your work is just showing up. So I appreciate you. Well, but I usually I like to here like jump it all the way back to the, to the beginning. So like taking us back to, is it Bellevue, Washington? Is that where we grew up? Yep, that's right. Um, and you know, I know you were a soccer star growing up. You know, we just talked a little bit off air about you also being a track star growing up. And, you know, I know sports seems like that was a passion for you growing up before. Yeah college and before pre-med and you know who was Gabby Joseph what were your interests what were what was kind of life growing up for you yeah so I um like you said grew up in Bellevue Washington I'm the oldest of four so I've got three younger siblings that are all kind of doing their thing all around the world and so I like to say I was both an oldest sibling and then I was kind of like this quirky nerdy athletic dude um like obviously he was one of the best soccer players and the fastest fastest kid in school except for one guy uh Shea Yadikoy. I'll shout him out now since in a few years from now he may be down our path but he was always just a touch faster and just a little bit better at soccer but he was one of, is and remains one of my best friends from fifth grade through through senior year we went to school together um but I mean it was funny like middle school I would show up in like the the rainproof sweatpants that weren't really rainproof. I had no drip. I had no style. I showed up in skin tight bug pajamas in fifth grade, but like 
I, I don't know. I was, <laughs> I, I was at a place. I went to an amazing uh, middle school and high school where, like, all of our intellectual curiosities were poked and given a place to flourish and, um, uh, given a place to flourish and given a place to bloom. And I, I took advantage of it. I loved it. I loved school. I loved soccer. I loved running. I used to say during during high school, I would in the fall, I would run cross country practice at school every day five days a week. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I would drive 90 minutes to my club soccer practice. Sometimes I would stop at home on the 90 minute drive, like change, grab a quick snack, make a smoothie or something. And I would go out even like further away to club soccer practice, play for the club team, come back home and then do my work. And so I'd be doing homework late into the night, wake up in the morning, load up the car, drive my siblings to school, drop them off, keep going myself. Same thing. Cross country practice drive out soccer practice come home and then in those in the spring when it was track season it was very similar but it was the other way around it was like soccer practice was the five day a week one and then every now and again a couple weekdays i would leave soccer practice and go to track practice so i was just immersed in it yeah it's kind of crazy i was i was immersed in it my dad was our track coach my mom was mom mom like handled all the logistics and made sure everybody got where they needed to be Uh, but also kind of made sure that myself and my siblings were given like all of these amazing opportunities to learn and and uh and thrive and like take advantage of everything we were curious about so i found out pretty young i love science find you find your way into medicine when you do that Um, right so yeah there's a there's a lot of funny a lot of funny moments from those days (laughs) dude i love uh, it and honestly like Hearing about even the upbringing and you jumping from sport to sport to schools and, you know, taking care of younger siblings and having all of that on your plate, it kind of like, it's good kind of background knowledge that kind of shows how you were able to do a lot of the things that we're going to touch on too and how you're able to kind of like carry so much on your plate. Um, So that's, that's crazy. Uh, because I thought that just, you know, I, I did two sports. I was basketball and, and track in high school. Um, but they were like just both five minutes from the street and I didn't have to drive and drop nobody off at practice or, you know, at school and take care <laughs> of younger siblings or anything. So super huge kudos to you. But you, but you mentioned, you know, you were able to like explore the, your intellectual curiosities too, when you were there. And I saw another thing that you did, you, you had a first internship, one of many, we're going to touch on those too, cause I, you, you, yeah. you were internship grinding at Seattle's Children, where you did like clinical trial for T-cell therapy and like leukemia patients. And so, you know, it doesn't seem like you were ortho first, whatever else I don't care about. It just seems like it was, you know, science and medicine itself intrigued you. Is that the case? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you're on it. See, this is great. You now you get to get rewarded by me being like, "Oh, how you know that?" <laughs> the the whether this is on the podcast or not. There's actually a hilarious. I don't know if this will make it in. This could make it in. There's a hilarious video. Uh, it's like a YouTube video. Of this guy Narwhal doing uh, interviews, and he interviews rappers, and they showed this in one of our classes in business school this year teaching us the lesson like hey you need to know your audience like if you're coming to do something with somebody or you're you're speaking you're giving a talk or you're writing a piece like know your audience know who you're trying to reach and uh this guy he's like interviewing these musicians these rappers these artists and he's like hey so i found this like first record you ever did and he like pulls out a vhs tape of the first movie snoop dogg ever made or something and snoop (laughs) loses his mind snoop is like yo 
What? Where did That's you crazy. Where did you find this? He does the same thing to like Frank Ocean. He does it to Waka. He, he like he gets all these guys because he's like, oh, I found this little thing you did like way back when that you probably even forgot about. He like right. asked. I think he asked J. Cole about it. Oh, no, he asked Kendrick about a song that was on like one of his first ever mixtapes that Kendrick didn't even remember. And then he was like, oh, my gosh, I, I forgot I ever. So that's wild. You just did that. See, to I'm me, trying which is, to replicate that. <laughs> trying to replicate it. Um, and in replicating the knowing piece, man, you picked up, that was one of the coolest things I ever did. And so while I've already made one shout out, I'll shout out another one. So one of my friends, another person who's in my high school class, she's awesome. Her name is Madison Betcher going to be a general surgery resident at UCLA in the coming year. Um, her mom knew some folks at Seattle Children's. And so um, graciously, one summer, one spring leading up to the summer, kind of introduced me to some folks that were working there. And I went, I was interested in biology. So molecular biology ended up being my major at Princeton. And I was interested in biology because I was always asking the question, why, 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 why? Like, I would ask, why does this work that way? Why does it work this way? Until it got to a smaller and smaller scale, which took me to molecular biology. In track, the why question was colored a lot by the way my dad coached. So we would do things like we were very technical. Like he would talk about making sure you land on the ball of your foot underneath your center of gravity so that you're getting a maximum response with, with each stride. We would talk about not wasting motion with where your arms were flying, keeping them inside and close to your body kind of up to the shoulder and down and back past your hip but like not wavering out and we would like watch videos of ourselves we watch carl lewis wit racing and so all these things was like why do you do this it was like you do this because it's the most efficient thing and then it was like okay we're having carbs the night before it's like why because you need to carbo load this is the type of energy this is going to give you the you know storage of long-term carbohydrates and atp for tomorrow's race it's like, okay, Thursday night, race is Saturday, get to bed early. Why? The night before the night before is the most important night of sleep. And so it was like all these things that started with little things preparing for track meets. And I was like, okay, I need to understand why. So I was interested in biology. Um, Madison's mom hooks me up with these folks at Seattle Children's. And I did one summer of just like inventory. So all I did was like sort through cabinets figure out whether the stuff that they thought was in the cabinet was actually in the cabinet, filled out an Excel spreadsheet, changed the Excel spreadsheet, whatever. I didn't do anything clinical. I didn't do anything remotely clinical. I was just there doing inventory. But the next summer, the folks I'd worked with were like, hey, we really liked having you here. And I was like, I would love to come back. And so they said, hey, we know some folks working at the Michael Jensen Lab at the Ben and Catherine IV uh, Cancer Research Center, um, and they would love to have lab interns for the summer. So that's how I got plugged in there. And that summer, they actually completed their first clinical trial in a leukemia patient in CAR T-cell therapy. And I was sitting on their lab bench doing preps, pipetting and, uh, and like cleaving a plasmid DNA and running gels and getting all of my first exposure in the lab while then going to the lab meeting where they're like, hey, here's our data, like patients looking great. And it was, a, wow. it was unbelievable. Um, and obviously getting to getting to write about that before going to college, getting to reflect on that as I went to Princeton and then ended up wanting to do molecular biology. It made me, and this is, we can come back to this thread as well. It made me very aware of one of the most important things, I think, in the education of people that look like you and I going into medicine. It made me feel comfortable showing up across the country 
in college in a classroom where people didn't look like me. It made me feel like I don't like this science stuff is not new. I've been given a little bit of a a flavor, a taste, a familiarity with it in a safe place where people advocated for me and they wanted me to learn. So now that I'm at the point where many people are going to get weeded out, I'm not as afraid. I'm not stepping into this as if it's the first time I've seen this type of STEM education. So STEM education is really important, but also very pa- I've become very passionate about education. Also giving kids in middle school and in high school opportunities to be exposed to some of these topics is really powerful, really important. So then when it shows up in a larger way at the next step, it's not something that you're afraid of. It's not something that you've never seen before, or you're hearing other people talk about the language of, and mm-hmm. you've never seen it, and you've never encountered it. And so you think, I don't belong. Same thing is right. to be said about orthopedics. When we get to medical school, and you show up, and some people might know a little bit about ortho and how amazing a field it is, but if you're underrepresented, or you're coming from a background where you don't know any orthopedic orthopedics, or you show up at a academic medical center where the orthopedic department is still growing in its diversity initiatives and the faculty don't really look like you, it's going to be harder to step in and say, I think I'm interested in this, unless you've been allowed to to see it and breathe it a little bit before, which is why as a resident and you as a med student, we want to see people look like us, see and breathe our interests where they are now before they get right. to this stage. Right. No, that's, that's like a, such a good point. And like, you know, piggybacking on the idea of getting that early exposure, like in a safe space too, like you mentioned, like in a place where people are like advocating for you, um, yeah. is like huge because I feel like, especially in science, but like specifically like medical school and the pre-med track and everything, it's like almost this environment of like, you like everybody's kind of like faking it until they make it. And there's like this kind of like mm. persona of like, I, I know stuff and like, it would be like everybody pretends almost like know everything and then like if you don't (laughs) if you like are you know completely oblivious to everything and you just think everybody else knows everything then that's where like that imposter syndrome kicks in that's where like the feeling of inadequacy and then you can you then you're just like all right maybe this isn't for me but you had that safe space to be like i actually i don't know any of this stuff and you have like people who are advocating for you and wanting to mentor you and wanting to help you and wanting to teach you um, so yeah. when you do go into the place, one, you actually do know stuff. And then two, you're actually more confident in yourself that even the stuff that you don't know, you can learn. Um, yeah. And, you know, just having that exposure early with people who are, you know, for you, I think is huge. That's that's fantastic that you had that. That's yeah. awesome. No, it, it's awesome. And lest you forget to, to, to everyone in the world, when you think that you don't know anything because everyone else around you seems to know way more. It's always, it's almost always one of those situations where I'm sitting at the end of a table right now. There's one, two, three, four, five, six chairs in front of me. If I'm sitting at a table with a bunch of people and I feel like I don't know anything, it's because we just answered seven questions together as a group. I only knew the answer to one. And then someone in the group answered each of the other six questions. So I'm sitting here being like, oh my gosh, everyone knows so much more. But each person's sitting in the in the chair in their chair thinking the same thing because they're like, I only know how I only know the answer to one of these questions. I don't know anything. Right. The collective knowledge will fool you. It will fool you always into thinking you yourself have not done enough. Dude, that's so fact. And like, not to keep going on this, but when I started med school, we started in like biochem and histology. 
And like Biochem was fine, you know, you take that in undergrad. I had never even saw pink stuff in histology. Histology was just slides of pink. I had no idea what was going right, on. Right, right. And we were put into like purple. small groups. It's all pink. And I was like, I don't know what this is. Maybe some dots of purple in there. And we were put into small groups. And um, one of my, one person in my small group did a master's and their master's was basically like in histology. And then another person in my small group had histology as a class in undergrad and like took that class and then TA'd that class. Um, and so, you know, we're going through things and they're just like, oh, this is this, this is, and I was like, this is my first, you know, week in med school. And I'm like, oh no, this is, I'm actually not built for this. This is different. Like, I don't know any of this stuff. I don't know how they are able to recognize whatever. And then, you know, we get to MSK and it's like, you know, I spent a few years doing like, you know, yeah. ortho research and stuff. And I have, a, you know, my personal interests, so it's things I'm doing outside and research or whatever. And then it's like, oh, I actually know this stuff, you know? So then it's just like, that's why medicine is the way that it is. People have their unique experiences, their unique yep. interests, their exposures to things, whatever. And if you like, you know, you shouldn't like shy away from that. You can, I can celebrate their passion for histology when I don't have that because I need somebody like that. I need pathologists exactly. <laughs> who are doing exactly. their thing and then they can celebrate my knowledge. So it's a great point. And I'm, I'm glad that you emphasized it. Yeah. So you mentioned that you ultimately go to to Princeton. Um, you know, you major in molecular biology. You're, um, you know, doing your thing. But one thing that I think is awesome, and this is probably because I'm, I'm biased, but you are a collegiate athlete. So you played soccer um, at Princeton. And we briefly mentioned how you're able to kind of balance everything. But how was being a soccer player pre-med at Princeton? You know, like you don't have to watch like the Fresh Prince to like know that Princeton is a big deal, right? Like... <laughs> <laughs> so now, like, you know, Carlton and everybody try to go to Princeton. But um, thanks, baby. But, yeah, exactly. So, like, how how was being a student athlete soccer player pre-med at Princeton? Um, well, I, uh, I'm i a better dancer. Just kidding. I'm not a better dancer than Carlton Banks. Alfonso Ribeiro, <laughs> great dancer. Um, I'll say this first. I loved, I loved Princeton. It was an amazing experience. And it's an amazing place where all of the undergrads are just really well taken care of and sought after and again advocated for in really cool ways um i walked onto the team i walked on six weeks into my freshman year and then ended up playing all four years um didn't get a whole lot of time on the field but made amazing friends and felt like that was the place where i learned the most probably the most actually about leadership in a short period of time before finding my way here um to Stanford where I am now and being pre-med and playing soccer was like I think people thought I was crazy they're like what are you what are you doing I knew that I wanted to be pre-med though pretty much right when I showed up to Princeton and then after mm -hmm. my freshman year I went and I spent 10 weeks with an orthopedic clinic I was in the Santa Monica orthopedic clinic which is orthopedic group which is now affiliated with Kerlin Job slash Cedar Sinai and I loved it and so I came back my sophomore year and I was like path path declared I'm going to be pre-med. I'm going to get ready to go to medical school. I would love to, con I would love to go into orthopedics. Um, and so with the clarity, it was very easy. Like if you knew what you wanted to do at Princeton, I don't want to say it was very easy, but like the path was there. It, it, mm -hmm. it is a hard place to go to school. It's a very, very difficult and very, very challenging environment. Um, playing soccer takes away a lot of the time in the fall and then like a little bit less time in the spring. But as a lot of college athletes will attest to, it puts your feet to the fire as far as time management is concerned. And so you sit there and you're like, all right, 
I have a limited amount of time. I'm going to do as much as I can in the, in the five minute windows. Like I would answer emails or like knock out short assignments in the 10 minutes in my, in my locker, in the locker room before getting ready to go out to practice. And like a lot of guys would do that because you get down 445, practice starts 445, you get down at 410 and you're like, I don't need to get into the training room till 420. I got 10 minutes. I think I can answer four emails and like write out, you know, one of my homework assignments is to write a two sentence response. Like I can do that right now. And then you go bang, 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 check, check, check in the training room, get taped up, get out to practice. You have a great time. You have dinner with the team afterward and then you have your evening and you start working on things again. And so I became a big to-do list guy. Um, I'm less of a to-do list guy now because I have different demands on my time, I would say, but I became a big to-do list guy and I would just always, always try to knock stuff off. I always try to be um, creating time for free time and for rest. Um, and then honestly, I was, I was pretty, at times in certain seasons, I was pretty religious about taking a, a day to rest. Like some people will call it Sabbathing, which I will sometimes, but being like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try all the time. I'm not gonna work all the time. I'm gonna take time to reset and rest. And so a lot of the times, especially my junior year when I was getting ready to apply and I was studying for the MCAT, it was like, I'm studying hard. I'm doing my classes. Um, I lined up some of my classes to work with the MCAT, but then on Sunday, I'm going to rest. I'm going to go to church with my friends. We're going to go to brunch afterward. We'll like, if it's warm out, we'll play some spike ball. We'll like hang out and kick a ball around. And then in the evening, I'll start getting to work. But you rest, you recover, you rejuvenate, you take time for yourself. Um, Because without that, you're running yourself into the ground. Um, Oh, and then the last thing I'll say, actually, because I plan things out and I set them up, I had hardly any classes my senior spring. I had like one and a half classes is the actual, was the actual amount of classes I was taking. I took a class on Thursday from 1 to 4 p.m. and Friday from 9.30 to 11. That was it. Wow. You had the true like, like senior, college yeah. senior experience. Yeah. yeah. That is, so I went into that- med school like on a, on a little bit of a, okay, I didn't work. I took a, I took some rest. I took some time, and now I'm going into med school, ready to go. Fresh, yeah, that's huge. And I think like all of the things that you mentioned that you were doing in college, I'm sure have like you know you said that you don't necessarily have to do like to do lists or whatever, but you like trained yourself in a way yeah. that is you know made you an extremely successful uh, you know med student, business student as well. We'll talk about that. It's going to make you an extremely successful resident. I'm sure in residency. We're going to be doing the same things of like, okay, we literally have 10 minutes between cases. I got to answer yep. these emails or I got to send this response back to this journal or whatever. I got to do X, Y, Z. Like you had those reps. And so then it's just yeah. becomes more second nature because you've, you've put that time in. And even, you know, getting reps, taking, you know, Sabbathing, like you mentioned, like, yeah. I feel like that, that can be tough. Like, unless you have been intentional about it before and see the benefits when you're in an environment yeah. where it's just like, you know, you feel like everybody else is working. There's un- unlimited knowledge you know you can always study more so like if you feel that and you've never been intentional about taking that day off taking that break and seeing the benefit of it you can like run yourself into a rut burnout is real um but you even were intentional about that so you know residency comes whatever like you know i'm sure you did the same in med school business school being able to utilize those skills as well like it all pays off yeah no it it absolutely does it was actually in fact rest sabbath that was the best part of studying for step one it was like Take a day, reset, recover, 
Forget the Anki cards for, for 12 hours. Don't worry about it. Let yourself breathe. I would cook a meal. I'd cook a nice meal. I'd bake something nice for myself. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm ready to go. Monday, let's go. Dude, okay. I'm, t- I'm definitely 100%. I'm, I'm studying for step two right now. I take it May 13th. Okay. So like, and like, we are 18 days. I have my little, like, I don't know if you can see this. Countdown timer. It says 18 days. <laughs> Every day has a new, like, motivational quote. But okay. one of these days, at least two of those will be my Sabbath days now. And I'm going to be taking my there day. I'm going to read my quote, still feel my, still, still feel good. Maybe cook a dinner or something for my wife, hang out with there the kid go. the whole day. Yes. Pause on the Anki cars. We're doing that. It's what um, it, it will it will make your, it'll make it so much you won't regret it at all. Yeah. Pick a Coach K and day. Pick a Coach K day and be like, all "Let's right, go, thanks, Coach K. I'm resting." Yes, <laughs> I love that. Yes, you already know Blue Devils. Um, so you mentioned one thing that you did in college that you know, and I want to touch on a few. So that first summer between college, so you're yeah. in New Jersey for Princeton, and you head back west. You mentioned, um, you know, doing that Santa Monica orthopedic group. Um, But I think you also did the Pacific Coast Hernia Center, like an internship there, like in that same summer, which is, first of all, like two internships in a summer, I think is just like absolutely insane. But then that following year, you worked with a neuroscience, like the Swedish neuroscience group um, on like projects related like glioblastomas and stuff. And so, you know, I was going to ask you, and you kind of mentioned your time at Santa Monica was like, this is when I know ortho because, you know, going back, it was just I just love science. I just love asking why I love getting deeper and deeper, the molecular biology of things. Um, but you went from like hernias to ortho to glioblastomas. Um, yeah. Was that just also that you can really experience different kind of specialties or was it just because you were genuinely interested in those things? Like what led to that? And then how did you ultimately be like, OK, it is 100 percent ortho for me? This is so funny, actually, as you ask these questions, I'm thinking back and seeing how many threads in this story there are. I'm supposed to be, I'm also supposed to be mining my life, my, um, I'm supposed to be mining my life for a business school class called Humor, Serious Business. So apparently I'm funny now, that's the whole point of the class, is if you take the class, then you are funny. Um, But I'm supposed (laughs) to be mining, I'm supposed to be mining my life for stories and some of the things that have come up in one of the threads. And so when you talk about those few summer internships, you're actually pulling on this thread, which is very true for me, um, which is that relationships with people and the places that I've been has actually been one of the most amazing things to do. So there are people out in this world who are truly self-made. They had nothing. They worked very hard. They found their way to their opportunities, and they really did it themselves. I am not one of those people by any means whatsoever. I have been so fortunate to have mentors, people, uh, connections show up at various places and open a door for me that, um, you know, when I do tell my story, I think it's important to also acknowledge that like, once I go through that door, I'm going to do my very best to show up and take advantage of the opportunity, be very grateful to be there and also put forth my best effort. But I ended up at the Santa Monica Orthopedic Group through a Princeton program. It's called Princeton Internships and Civic Service. So that's how I ended up in Santa Monica in the first place. I ended up across the street working with the Pacific Coast Hernia Center on like kind of a chart review, digitizing their electronic medical record because the guy that ran the hernia center went to my high school and he found out that I had gone to this high school in Seattle. And he was like, wait, 
what? And I was kind of working in between because the hernia center did a lot of the athletic pathology of patients. So a lot of the sports hernias, groin pathology, it was like kind of unclear who should see them. They would send them across the street. And then I was like, oh, he was like, you went to, you went to high school, whatever. Come, come and help us out with this thing. So then he brought yeah. me in and had me digitizing their electronic record. The next summer, um, again, I ended up in Seattle. It was important for me at the time. Actually, my parents were going through a rough, a rough patch in their marriage. Um, ultimately, ended up getting divorced. And so my, at the time, me and my three younger siblings were like, hey, we don't know what's going on, but like, we want to be in the same place. We should be together. They were all at home at the time. And so in my mind, I was like, I don't know what to do or where to go, but I'm just going to figure out how I can be home in Bellevue um, mm. in Seattle. It's 15 minutes away from downtown Seattle. I'm going to figure out how I can be home in Bellevue for the summer. Um, I'm interested in medicine, maybe orthopedics. I just did orthopedics. I'm still applying to med school. So maybe I should get a different type of clinical hours, give myself a different type of exposure. I still think when you show up at med school on day one, you should be curious about everything, try everything mm -hmm. out. Once I got to med school, I almost became a nephrologist and I almost became a head and neck surgeon. All the while, still loving, still loving ortho. But I was like, do I like these even more? Right. Um, oh, that's crazy. It's kind of, kind of crazy. But the um, summer at, at Swedish uh, with Dr. Cobbs, where I did research on glioblastoma, came about because I was working with the Princeton Health Professions Advising Office. I told them I wanted to go home to Seattle. And they were like, hey, we know some folks there. Dr. Cobbs was a rower at Princeton. You know, he has loved working with students from time to time. You should just reach out. And so I shot him an email. I said, hey, Dr. Cobbs, would love to see what you do and maybe chat about doing something over the summer. Um, he said, yeah, no problem. Um, would love to meet you. Are you home for winter break? I was like, I'm home from December through January, whatever. I would love to just pop in. And he goes, great, come in the first week of January. I was still at home. So I went in, spent a couple of days with him, got to meet him, got to know him. And he said, great, we'd love to have you back this summer. And that was it. That was wow. it. Then that summer I was in the OR with him as he did glioblastoma resection. So was seeing tumor painted masses, was like looking at them under, um, under the scope with him. It was an amazing summer. And he just said, all right, you're under my wing. Like, here's the proverbial wing. He's like, you're under my wing for three months. I'm going to teach as much as I can. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do some research, write a review, spend some time in the lab. And then you're going to see patients in clinic and in the operating room. Wow. And so I had this amazing additional clinical experience. Again, this thread of somebody just being willing to open their arms and teach and mentor. And I was grateful to be there and really thankful. And then, you know, the personal thread of like, hey, I needed to do something for my family. I like needed to be home for my personal well-being and health. And so mm -hmm. the parameters, the parameters came in, they were narrowed. And I, I took that and ended up there. And it was awesome. I'm so glad I did because by then I was like, I'm definitely going to medical school. There's no way I want to do anything else. Um, still really love orthopedics. I don't think I want to be a neurosurgeon. Like, there, was a, there was an aspect of it that was really challenging. There was an aspect of the lifestyle that I was like, I don't know that this is what I'm most attracted to. However, the impact that this individual physician is having on patients, families, and their lives is incomparable. This is super, mm -hmm. super cool. And so really thankful Shout out Dr. Cobbs. <laughs> yeah. Um, really thankful for him and that, that experience as well, where it helped me also understand and refine the questions I would ask when it was time to figure out what I wanted to do. 
which right. is like for the attendings or the residents you work with. It's like, not just do you love what you do, but like what kind of cases you're doing? What's the predominant, you know, what's the predominant like bread and butter way you spend your time um, for ENT? Eventually they were like, yeah, it's like a lot of snot <laughs> and secretions. <laughs> yeah, but like we do tough. other things. And then I was like, ah. You said snot. <laughs> I loved the other stuff. Like I loved the massive reconstructive surgeries. I loved the fibular flaps. They would go down and harvest the fibula and bring it up and make a mandible. And I was like, I loved the fibular flaps. Maybe I like ortho more. Yeah, that I got you. No, that's that that's awesome. I love I love the way that you even you know told the story of like, you know, at first you were saying like you were you were extremely fortunate to be able to have the guidance and mentorship and you know things doors opened up for you but you were like knocking on doors right too like you were sending those emails to dr cobb and you were like you know it was you didn't take a passive approach i think sometimes when people are like i need a mentor they almost like wait for one to like show up magically right but you kind of have to like put in work you know to get those doors opened up and then when they open it's like still going to be on you to then walk through them right it's like you have to yeah. knock on the door one of them is going to open, then you have to do the work to walk through it. And then you, you experience the success. So a lot of it is because of the kind of, you know, the, the effort that, that, that you put in ahead of time and then throughout your experience. Um, yeah. I'm also glad that uh, we didn't lose you or ortho didn't lose you to um, ENT. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the fibula excited you, I think, a little bit more than the snot. So that, that's, that's good. Exactly. You, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, just talking about everything you've done so far, it's not surprising at all that you just absolutely bodied your undergrad experience. Obviously, we're going to get into medical school, but you not only got into medical school, you got into a, a fantastic program back west. You're just flying over me. I'm, I'm in the Midwest, and you just keep kind of just jumping over me from the west to the east and now back to the west. Yeah, you just yep. keep, and then you're going to go back to the east. But so now you're, you, end up going to Stanford for an MD MBA, but you also get this Knight Hennessy scholarship. So what did that entail? Um, and then also what made you want to pursue the MD MBA? Yeah. So actually the Knight Hennessy scholarship program, it's an amazing uh, fellowship program here at Stanford. I'm actually in our building right now. So I'm in Denning house, which is the, the Knight Hennessy scholars building. That's where I'm taking the, the call and doing the pod from because uh, oh, love we that. love it. And it's a beautiful building and there's, snacks and food here and, and great community. This is where the community hangs out. So I was like, oh, you know what? Denning House is a good place to do the pod from. This is um, awesome. Yeah. Um, so on the ortho plug, we'll also plug the Knight Hennessy Scholars Program for all of you up and coming uh, soon to be medical students and people applying to medical school. The Knight Hennessy Scholars Program started the year that I arrived in 2018 and it's a fellowship program designed for and derived toward bringing together interdisciplinary, collaborative, and really compassionate and I think vulnerable leaders in their various fields. We're all over Stanford's graduate schools. So there's Knight Hennessy scholars in all seven of Stanford's graduate schools. There's people doing their PhDs in physics and uh, sociology. There's people at the law school. There's people at the business school. There's people in the med school. And then there's people from all over the world. There's people who grew up in Afghanistan. There's people who grew up in Egypt. There's people who grew up in uh, in Russia, there's people who grew up in the Caribbean and in South America. Um, there's people who've gone to schools in those places in Chile and, um, in Brazil and then made their way here to the States. And Knight Hennessy brings us all together 
in a community and in a program that really aims to coach us through leadership, through storytelling, um, through advocacy, through just like um, through advocacy for justice, uh, and I think a lot of really right things in the world. Um, but the scholars have to do that for each other, and you kind of got to push your neighbor and get the most out of learning from the, the people next to you. So, um, yeah, I, I really thankful for this fellowship as well. I've made amazing friends here. I've learned so much from a lot of my fellow scholars. They're not um they're not all med students. And so actually when I got here and during my first year, some of my business school uh fellow scholars, some of my my business school night Hennessy scholars were awesome. They were some of the coolest people I met. And they were having a great time at business school and we were having a great time getting to know each other and they were like, you know you, you should think about coming over here for a little bit. And I was like, I was when I first got here, but now I thought, you know, with Knight Hennessy, with med school, maybe that was enough. But I began to see and feel like, oh, there's a leadership skill set to get a little bit more of at the business school. There's a language to pick up a little bit more of. You want to do, you know, this is me talking to myself, Gabby, you want to do work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. You want to implore people to be mentors to those that don't look like them. You want to push the envelope on what it means to lead an inclusive organization and fight for change or bring partners in. You got to A, know who those partners are and B, really know how to manage and build an effective team. Stanford's Business School, a great place to really craft those skills. We're very interpersonally focused. And by interpersonally focused, I mean you just get to know people. That's the most important piece is developing relationships with people. And so when you learn to do that and learn to cast a shared vision or to meet someone where they are, like to really get to know someone and their story and then say, hey, this thing that you've been through and this thing that I've been through means that we have a shared goal or a shared mission. And I want to bring you along with me in that. Um, it's a really, I think, honoring way to get to know your coworkers or get to know your colleagues and then figure out, okay, how do we make the most effective team? How do we bring in everyone's interests and values and then point us in a direction, point us in a direction that's going to make, in my opinion, going to make the world a better place. In my opinion, going to make the world a more just place. Someone else's might be a little bit different, but we can probably craft and weave both objectives in. Um, right. done a good job. That's yeah. I wish he. I wish I had like could go back five years, listen to this podcast, hear about this, and then pursue this because that sounds <laughs> so incredible. And honestly, I was like listening to you talk about you know why you were wanting to pursue the NBA. You know, like when you were talking to yourself, like you do you want to be a leader in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, yeah. and be able to know the lingo and all those things. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Um, Erica Taylor. She's at Duke. She's a hand okay. um, surgeon at Duke. But she uh, just gave a talk at AMEC this year. And she's an MD, MBA. Um, she got her MBA while she was like practicing. So relatively recent. She's been in practice for probably 10 or so years. But it was a similar thing where she was just like, I need to know this ling the, the lingo. I need to be able to like know the language. I need to be able to sit at the tables. And her yeah. main purpose is to be a leader in diversity, equity, and inclusion. She founded this amazing organization. I'm a shout out, and you can look up to it's ODLC. It's like Orthopedic Leadership Diversity Consortium or something like that. Okay. Um, but it's super dope, and it's basically trying to like teach people who want to be leaders in DEI. Um, so just like okay. right up your alley. 
Um, but she basically gave the exact same kind of reasoning behind why she pursued that in MBA. Um, okay. so it's like, yeah, it's that, 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 that's really cool. And again, in hindsight, there's some things that I would probably do, um, but maybe down the road, I might take, take the kind of road that, that, that she took. Yeah. I don't know if I can delay, you know, trying to get to this <laughs> finish line any, anymore right now, but, right. um, that's, that's fantastic. I know it's going to serve you super well. And, you know, you clearly did incredible things at Stanford and, you know, just hearing your story and hearing how you approached everything up until this point, um, you know, it's very clear to be able to see that you, uh, you know, were going to be somebody that could handle lots of things, were very motivated, um, you know, very passionate about science and pursuing the things that you were pursuing. So ultimately, you do what you did at Princeton and you crush your MD MBA now at Stanford. And recently, like as in like a month ago, like yeah. you found out that you matched at HSS, um, you know, the world leader in orthopedic surgery. Um, so first, just huge congratulations to that. That's just, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Um, yeah I, I remember we were like, we were sitting, we were at the academy. We met at the academy this, yeah. this year and yeah. it was like a week or something before match. And I think we were like in, I don't remember what it was, but we were like in like a, like a drink line or something like that. And we were just like hanging out and I like got to briefly talk. Yeah. I think somebody called me like, like afterwards. Um, but then, you know, I remember like, you know, saying what's up to you, talking for a sec. And then I looked through the match results and just like the being one year behind constantly kind of stalking the Instagram yeah. pages to see what the little squares yep. of pictures look like of everybody of all the different programs and stuff. And then I went to like um, HSS and I was like, oh, let's go. Like, Noma, I know Noma is my boy. And then I swipe and I'm like, oh, snap, this is Gabby. This is the dude that I just met. Like, okay, I need to get his number now. Now I need to figure him out because I didn't have time to get his number at the academy. Uh, but yeah, I was like so excited for you, man. Like that is a huge, huge accomplishment. Um, and so one of the things that I want to touch on is um, did, you, did, did you rotate at HSS? I did. I did. Okay. So um, I rotated so, on hand last year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, at this point with step one being pass fail, things being more of like this, like everybody looks the same on paper. I think it's pretty, um, you know, known that you're going to probably match at either your home institution or where you rotate. That's where you're going to have the highest likelihood of matching. So mm -hmm. it just goes to say that, you know, being able to perform well on a rotation is very important. Um, so I was wondering, like, did you do something to prepare like ahead of time, like ortho knowledge or like, you know, what did you, what, what did your preparation for your away rotations look like? I've talked to some people about like what they did on their away rotations, which is, you mm -hmm. know, be a good human being and work really hard. Yeah. Um, but like in preparation for them, what were some of the things that you did, if anything? Yeah. So, um, I definitely prepared content wise like i knew i was going to do a hand rotation and i had done a little bit of hand here and so um i would say i focused my preparation in three ways the first was um anatomy so content if i'm going to simplify content the first way I, the first way i prepared was anatomy it was just like if i'm doing hand and upper extremity i'm gonna prep and learn my hand and upper extremity anatomy cold not because it's going to make the biggest difference and not because everyone's pimping you in the or that's not necessarily the case in that it doesn't happen in a lot of places. Like a lot of places is just really getting a chance to be in conversation with you. And then as things come up that you 
need to know. It's like somewhat helpful. But I was like, if I know in my anatomy cold, I'm going to be really comfortable in an OR, number one, if I get asked questions. And if my demands are other things, if it's just paying attention and being helpful and you know, knowing what things to hand to the assistant ahead of time, I'm going to have the brain, I'm going to have the mental space to try and look for those cues because I'm like, if I get asked an anatomy question, I'm pretty confident that I'll know the answer. That's where a lot of our med student stress goes. Like, you know, what if they ask something that I don't know? You don't need to know everything. It's impossible to know everything. But if you know a few things well and you feel confident in that, it takes a lot of the stress off. So that was the first thing. The second thing that I did was I reached out to people that I knew at uh, the program that I was going to rotate with um, and just where they were willing to provide time to prep me mentally for what the expectations were. I did that. And so that means mentors. That means people that I've met along the way. Uh, fortunately for some of us here. Um, so Josie's been on the pod. Josie was a Stanford student. I was able to reach out to Josie and Josie put me in touch with some people who she's close with who are willing. Um, and I'm very thankful that they were willing to just spend a little bit of their time and give me five to 10 minutes of, hey, here's what to expect. Um, and here's how I prep. So that was the, that was the second thing. And then the third was actually kind of offline prep. And I realized that I had learned this over the course of the year. Um, the third was just prepping to be gracious with myself and to have compassion for myself and to go in and say like, um, I actually think my preparation in quotes up to going was writing down things I was grateful for every day trying to set my mind and heart's posture to a place of being really thankful for the opportunities that were in front of me, to being really appreciative and being able to choose joy every day and know that if I show up and I do my best and I work hard and I try to help patients and I try to help the team, even if I make mistakes, when I do make those mistakes, if I'm willing to not turn inward, beat myself up and speak up and say, hey, I might have missed, I might have missed this or I, I might have said XYZ, but I'm actually not 100% sure. I'm going to own that right now. And, you know, we can move forward with the task that the team needs to do for a day as a result. Um, number three, I think, was actually the most helpful because I didn't get asked an anatomy question every day. Um, I didn't have to do something that I was told every day, slash, even if the residents gave you a sense of what the rotation would be like. After a week, I was like, oh, I feel comfortable with these things. But every day I did have to show up and not feel too timid, but feel confident in who I was myself up until that point and know that I was there to learn and know that I can make mistakes and know that even if I had a great rotation and I didn't end up there, that I was likely to end up somewhere great and be an orthopedic surgery resident and get a chance to serve patients. And where I found myself in that mindset, I was like, I feel like I'm doing better and better because I'm more excited to show up every day. And I'm not turning this into, oh my gosh, what is happening? What am I doing? I'm getting something out of it regardless of the outcome. Right. No, that's, I literally wrote those three things down for me um, as I get ready to do some of my own away rotations. <laughs> um, and the last point is something that, you know, people don't talk about, but it's huge because like even what I, when I talked to Josie, one of the things that, um, you know, she really highlighted was like, you know, this is like such a stressful season of life, like medical school, even residency. And, you know, being on the bottom of this totem pole, the bottom of this like hierarchical system, you know, you have like so much pressure on yourself and, 
yeah. it can be it can put you in a pretty dark place um but like if you are intentional about practicing being gracious with yourself and yeah. you know and practice being honest with mistakes and knowing that mistakes are okay and you know i'm sure that like when you go in and it's like hey i said this don't know if it's right i'm gonna own it what's the next step moving forward the people that you're working with the residents that you're working with and stuff are probably like oh dope like we literally probably did the same things multiple times you're yeah. a real one for letting us know now we can actually like work and figure out what to do and it just like adds like a humanistic aspect to medicine and when we kind of try to go in and be perfect it just like takes that humanism out of it um mm -hmm. which is just like and then that's like a slippery slope um so i really really like that um and i'm yeah it it definitely worked for you because yeah, yeah you 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 did did your thing um <laughs> so it worked out the last, it worked out it worked out the last question that i have for you i want to be you know conscious of your time is um after you you know went through and you did your away rotations and everything then we have your interviews and um you know how what were some of the things that you did to prepare for interviews was it just you know practicing some of the questions were there certain questions that you needed to you know have down cold how did your prep for interview season go yeah so um actually you kind of just you did this on uh on the last episode with tino um dr mccorobindo uh where you were yep. like hey what's your elevator pitch you know he's like oh yep, man yep. I, don't, I don't know if i remember from interview day um but that's a great that's a great question right i think some of the prep was like how do i explain who I am in, in 30 seconds? How do I explain who I am in 60 seconds? How do I explain who I am in 90 seconds? And how do I make sure that like each of those bits has a little bit more character than just like, you know, what I did in a resume list item. So, you know, I kind of already, I kind of used it on you a little bit where I was like, hey, man, I grew up in Bellevue. I'm the oldest of four. So I got three younger siblings. They're doing their thing. We ran track. We played soccer. I played soccer. I'm excited about orthopedics. I love leadership and I'm interested in doing DE&I work and increasing representation of people that look like us in orthopedics. And so it was like, okay, right. bang. I've encompassed a lot of things. All of a sudden now I'm like, I read that back to myself and I'm like, okay, you know, now someone knows that I'm uh, an oldest sibling, that I've got younger siblings that I care about. Maybe they're up to different things. Um, you know, the fact that sports were a big thing for me and that I probably love them as an interest and not just a, an action that's in there, you know, you know where I'm into med school, but now you've got a sense for, you know, some of my passions within the scope of working professionally, if it's leadership, if it's equity and inclusion, bang, all those things. So it's like, what's your 30 second story? What's your 60 second story? What's your 90 second story? Again, this coming from some of these storytelling threads in business school class classes. Um, and then the other thing I did was just go back through my resume, go back through my ERAS and what I submitted. Um, and I just made sure basically myself mentally to think about like, okay, did I have, do I have a story for each of these things? Like, do I have a little anecdote that represents to me what was important about it, whether it was a success or a failure? And I tried to make sure that um, for everything that I had talked about doing, that if I was asked about it, I would have something good to share, maybe something challenging to share. Um, and that process of reflecting and going back and being like, okay, you know, I may have written about this experience on my ERAS, but I was really only thinking about the good things. Was there anything there that was challenging or did a lesson come out of any of these things? Mm -hmm. um, so those were, those were my biggest prep things for orthopedic interviews. And some of them are really fast. Some of them took longer. 
everyone's trying to get to know you and get a sense for, you know, what you would be like to to work with and um and what your passion is for orthopedics. And so just being able to talk freely and talk openly about that, I think was the the easiest part of preparing. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome. And honestly just like hearing the like um intentional things that you did is just kind of like the the cherry on top of this foundation that you've laid off with the story that you've given of just like, you know, who you become, who you, the type of person, type of student, the type of, you know, your sounds like with your business stuff, you're super interested in relationships, so the type of like interpersonal yeah. connections that are passionate for you, like all of those kind of things have just, you know, built this foundation for you. And then it's just kind of like, you know, right before I do my, away rotation there's there's just a few like intentional things to put the cherry on top of like you know this foundation i've said right before my interviews i just a few little fine tweaks um and so i always just like to pick pick people's brains on that um because i try to I try to mimic those as much as possible hope that my foundations <laughs> is at least mo- mo- uh, moderately as strong as as yours but um sure it is no this has been like so so amazing gab you are truly truly incredible i'm honestly honored to be able to you know have you as someone i look up to someone that i i feel like i can call a friend someone i feel like i can reach out to um do you have like any final words any final pieces of advice for people like myself that want to be in your shoes one day um you know resonate with you well jr thank you for having me on it's uh it is a privilege to be on here i think the we already kind of talked about it but I, i think the biggest piece of advice would be to and maybe this is one of my biggest learnings of last year, is to just have a lot of compassion for yourself. If you want to do something and you want to be in orthopedics or you want to be in medicine, it's like, how many times have we heard the story of someone who's like, oh, I didn't get a good grade in this class or I, I did poorly on this exam or, or, you know, I had this like one bad experience in the operating room or on a rotation or I made a big mistake and now no one's ever going to want to work with me again. It's like, that's not, that's not true. That's not, that's not fair to yourself and a dream that you have. Like if you have a desire and you have a dream and you really want to be a part of a field or you really want to impact patients' lives in a certain way or or you're really just intrigued and excited about orthopedics or medicine or something else, um, when you do come up against those trials or those very difficult moments, what you say to yourself can be one of the most important things that you then go forward with. And if it is kindness, if it is showering yourself with uh, room to make mistakes and room to grieve them and then to come back and say, how am I going to grow from this? Or what do I have to learn from it? Or um, how can I become a better, in my heart, how can I become a better servant of others? How how can I become a better um, warrior for justice or a weapon for justice in the world? It's like, okay, now I've learned that. Now I've 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 determined that. I've given myself license to continue to make mistakes um and to ask for forgiveness from others when I do and then I can go from there. I don't have to dwell. I don't have to beat myself up. I don't have to be too um Yeah, I don't have to be too hard on myself or others. Because mm-hmm. the more compassion we have for ourselves, the more we have for others. I'm stealing these things from some of my favorites. Brene Brown talks a lot about this stuff. A lot of our favorites wisdom. But it's wisdom and it's a wisdom that I think makes us able, no matter where we are, to be better citizens in the world in how we give and relate to others. That's what we're all here for, I think. And mm-hmm. I'm going to be hopefully the best orthopedic surgeon that I can if I hold on to that strength. 
And if that's a strength of mine now, I want it to always be a strength of mine. Right. That's huge. Thank you so much, Gabby. I'm definitely, I've, I've been taking notes. I'm going to be putting all these things to use. I'm going to be starting up my everyday. What am I grateful for? Make my list. There you go. Practice in moments, self-talk, practice making sure I'm talking to myself with kindness. Um, I really, really appreciate your time, man. This has been absolutely fantastic. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Gabby Joseph as much as I did. Man, you can just tell he's going to be special. But I just wanted to send one last reminder to like and review the podcast if you haven't already. It really helps out the time. But all right, that's it for this week. We'll see you next time.